This is Shannon in Durham, Erica in Edmonton, and Chip in Durham, and this is the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 3, Soul Hunter. Soul Hunter, get up, take spaceship. Soul Hunter, go to job. Soul Hunter, fly to meet his buddies. Soul Hunter in a mob. Soul Hunter, no ambush by human fleet. Mean a bumper crop. Dead heroes gotta be collected now. He can never stop. Soul Hunter, find Minbar's greatest leader. About to die, no time to waste. Soul Hunter had big chance, but missed because Minbari are his. Soul Hunter's gone crazy. Soul Hunter can't wait for you to die. Soul Hunter, very simple man. With big burlap bag full of souls. Soul Hunter, take yours. Soul Hunter, take yours. Soul Hunter brothers getting worried. Soul Hunter really nuts. Soul Hunter killing bad for business. They want him to discuss. Soul Hunter saying no thank you, busy now. He just saving time. Just living's terminal anyway. Is it such a crime? Soul Hunter get answer from pulse cannons. He tried to dodge, his ship is hit. Soul Hunter barely make it out alive. Soul Hunter run to Babylon 5. Soul Hunter's gone crazy. Soul Hunter can't wait for you to die. Soul Hunter, very simple man. Big burlap bag full of souls. Soul Hunter, take yours. Soul Hunter, take yours. For Chad. Soul Hunter, make a lot more trouble. Soul Hunter, tough and mean. Soul Hunter, played by Morgan Shepard, not played by Martin Sheen. Escape from Mad Lab with a stolen gun, grab a lot more crap. He sneaked contraptions by security, did they all take nap? Soul Hunter, get thwarted by our hero. Soul Hunter, voiced by own petard. Soul Hunter, end up in glass ball. Soul Hunter, now feeling real small. Soul Hunter's gone crazy. Soul Hunter, can't wait for you to die. Soul Hunter, very simple man. With big burlap bag full of souls. Soul Hunter, take yours. Soul Hunter, take yours. Chip's song Soul Hunter is, of course, a parody of and uses the music from Jonathan Colton's song Code Monkey, which Colton made available under a Creative Commons license. In the show notes, you'll find a link to the license and the original song, which you can buy at jonathancolton.com. And we apologize deeply to Mr. Colton and to Mr. Straczynski. I have no apologies to make. I'm proud of my perversions. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello again. 
And welcome back. Uh, we are glad you're joining us again as we continue our journey through the one of the greatest shows on television, Babylon 5. Um, to recap, since it may have been a few weeks since you did your homework, as Chip called it, and watched Soul Hunter, it involves the arrival of an alien who's previously unknown to the humans. It throws the alien population into a tizzy. Uh, we learn these things are soul hunters, and the one in question has broken ranks, possibly gone insane. He's trying to kill his targets rather than just wait for them to die so he can collect their souls. We learn that Delenn is a member of the Mimbari ruling party and is acting undercover, and the soul hunter attacks her, but Sinclair saves her life. And we also get introduced to another of our main cast members, Dr. Franklin. So, to get started, what did we think of the second episode of the season? Hmm. <laughs> that's what I give you. <laughs> Was that it? Is that your editorial comment? <laughs> it's, it, it's, it, it, we've gone from three words, it's a pilot, to <laughs> one guttural sound. <laughs> this, this is definitely not my favorite uh, episode of, of, of B5. This is, I, I think this is very firmly in the finding its feet sort of, of area. And I think for me, it was, uh, what the story itself was about is just not something that rings my bells. Uh, there was a lot of, and, and I know we're going to go into this sort of the, the soul sort of stuff. And I, I don't, necessarily dig the mysticism angle too much just from a storytelling standpoint it just doesn't doesn't do it for me as as it as it was done it was fine um but i also feel like the performances were a little bit um iffy i mean morgan shepherd is he's a cool guy he's our first doctor who crossover in babylon 5 Yay. Yeah, which, Yay. Is, which is nice however i think i just i i did not like him as the soul hunter i really didn't like the Zito, Rito, et cetera, et cetera. Pork burrito. <laughs> yeah. if, he was, if he was chanting about pork burritos, I would have been much more on board, let me tell you. Um, so, yeah, I just, I, I didn't feel like it hung together as well as Midnight on the Firing Line, or even maybe The Gathering. I'm not so sure. <laughs> Is this the time for us to remind our listeners that Babylon 5 really is a slow burn? Yes, that's a good thing. That it starts yes. that this episode this series is really going to start cooking, but it takes a while to sort of establish itself and work through some, you know, you know, some old-fashioned uh SFTV tropes before we get to the good stuff. Yeah. I think that's fair. Don't get me wrong, I didn't I didn't hate all of it. I just I I didn't hate any of it really. It was just one that's not too far on the positive side for me. However, I would like to point out that I really, really, really like the physics of Babylon Five. I know we talked about the Star Furies before, but I'm gonna say it again because mm -hmm. I think in this one you we actually get like a, a really nice sort of close up shot of uh, Sinclair out there in a Star Fury and it you know, it's whipping around just the way you would expect it to, uh, with with those sorts of space physics. So actually, Sinclair in this one, he was he was OK. He had a couple of lines that I was like, oh, yeah, you go. Oh, now that's really generous <laughs> of you. <laughs> I like Sinclair. I know. And Chip, did you like Soul Hunter? Um, it was it was it was OK. It was OK. Soul Hunter um, has a lot of stuff that's that seeds or gives hints to future episodes in it. And I like the sort of the moral conflict that you get in this episode, um, but it, it feels a little hokey. It feels like old-fashioned science fiction, and it all for for me it all sort of 
comes down to the the whole concept uh, of the souls and whether that's an appropriate um, argument to get into in um, what's ostensibly a high a uh, realistic science fiction or at, or at least or at least a realistic space opera kind of thing. We, you, Erica just talked about the physics of the Star Furies again, and you know that stuff is beautiful. We're 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 in a world that has a space station that has that doesn't have artificial gravity. It's got rotating sections. You've got real inertia. You know the fu- Sheridan. I mean, I'm sorry. Sinclair is doing so much with the Star Fury to try to grapple the uh, Soul Hunter spaceship and all that stuff. You know, really realistic. Where and and then souls, souls in little bitty glass glo- snow globes, <laughs> um, with little okay. faces floating in them. It's just a little hokey to me. Good word. Good word. I I will grant some of the hokiness. I I I do not object that they were still finding their feet, and you know this was a slightly yeah a slightly oddball way for the representation. On the other hand, what is unrealistic about these concepts? You know, we argue about them today. Um, you know, the atheist versus the religious versus the different types of religion, whether there's a heaven, whether we reincarnate. JMS presents all this stuff, and the beauty of it is he doesn't give us an answer. That's something that I appreciate about this episode. Um, he, he gives us the sort of the three arguments. Uh, there's Dr. Franklin stating, you know, there's no such thing as a soul. Yeah, we've got the technology to maybe replicate um, somebody's personality matrix and, you know, get a, and interact with that a little bit. Um, we've got Delenn and the Mimbari. And it feels like a majority of the alien populations who believe in an afterlife of some sort, um, and in the Membari's case, reincarnation. It is vital to their society that the that this belief that the souls go and join and mix and come back. And if you lose them, if you lose these souls to the soul hunters, it it robs the Membari of something. And then we've got the soul hunters who believe that they are saving these people somehow that if they don't capture the soul it is going to be lost forever and never return and as i said jms doesn't answer the question he's brave enough to let the viewers think about this and um that's something i like that's something we're going to see throughout the series he he is not afraid of shades of gray yeah i, I i'm afraid of shades of gray <laughs> 50 of them <laughs> hey oh. sorry <laughs> i think that that I agree that that of this, like I said, it's not my favorite sort of topic for for musing on. But if we were going to take it, I do really like the way that JMS presented it. Um, Shannon, that's a great observation that you're right. He gives us these possibilities and doesn't give us an answer. And I, I like the way that he wrote it sort of so evenly from each side that if you were to look at this story coming into it, not knowing anything about any of the characters, say you hadn't, you know, there's no backstory, you, you, you're just being dropped in the middle. Um, you could look at it from the perspective of the soul hunter. And from that side, he's actually the good guy. And this is a tragedy. The story, you know, he, he was brought down at the end. And, and at the very end of the episode where you have Delenn sitting there, she's, you know, crushing the little soul balls in her hand and, and basically freeing them and, and crying. You know, that's that could be Delenn cr- uh, committing heinous, heinous murder. We don't know. Exactly. 
Delin, exactly. the evil, the most evil character in Babylon 5. <laughs> I mean, from from <laughs> from one perspective, I mean, we, since we've been watching this and know that she is, you know, quote unquote, one of the, the good guys, at least so far as we can tell, we don't read it that way. But I, I like the fact that he wrote it in such a manner that you, if you were to just kind of look at it just with your head tilted a tiny little bit, you could easily see it the other direction. There's nothing hard and fast that tells you that she was definitely in the right Except there is one thing that I just thought of. The conclusion, we we can talk about the staging and the writing and the directing of the big final conflict, which I think is the weakest part of the whole story. Um, But when, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and do it now. Sinclair gets (laughs) knocked over or goes to check on Delenn or whatever. He's he's sprawled on the deck near Delenn, near the burlap bag full of souls. For whatever reason, Sinclair gets the bright idea, hey, I'm going to open this bag. There's something glowing in it. Maybe it will Mm -hmm. help me. Mm -hmm. And then the soul balls fly out of there. Thank heaven that we had a scene earlier in the episode that established that they could do that. (laughs) And they fly up and distract the soul hunter. So that's almost the hand of the writer saying um, the souls in the soul balls don't want him to do this sort of thing. Um, that, okay, that's, that that's almost that that almost mm-hmm. gives uh that almost gives a bit more justification for Delenn. That's true. Although or maybe there. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering. Ahead. My my question about that scene was that he's had these things around him for possibly hundreds of years. We don't know how long they live, and why haven't they you know done something like this to try to escape or destroy their you know their little glass balls? They think they'd be able to like smash themselves into a wall or something like that if they really wanted. Because out. they well that there's that actually good point and they and the didn't... presumption I think is um, that the souls know that he's that the soul hunter is in the wrong. I mean it's made clear. Um, that this particular guy is rogue. He is acting against the soul hunter's interest. Um, and that, you know, some a soul that is captured at the end of its natural life, you know, is, is happy that, you know, it's revered and worshipped and can, you know, teach the soul hunters all the things that the that they spout off that that the reason that they do this. Mm-hmm. But this is this fellow has been going around and killing his victims right. and essentially stealing the soul. Okay. So I think that's good point. Part of that. Let me backpedal. <laughs> Sure. Well, no. So I want to say that, yes, I guess the way that JMS wrote it is not saying that this particular soul hunter was the hero of the story and it was his tragedy, but that the soul hunters in general, that their normal idea of taking a soul at death could still be the right thing. It's possible that these souls were were rising up simply because they recognized that that this one guy was sick and maybe they still didn't actually want to be freed, but they were willing to sacrifice themselves to, to save the lives of the still living. But still, right. let me go back to this one thing. Magic floating glass balls. <laughs> uh, like the gravity rings in um, The Gathering. This it, it, It's sort of against what this show really is all about. And um, as we get... there, There are going to be moments of super science on the edge of mysticism here and there. Uh, tel- telepathy uh, pretty much goes into that category as with as well as uh, Centauri precognition. But, you know, these little glass balls with no sense of, no means of propulsion or anything like that, carrying souls floating away. It's, 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 it's a little, it, there used to be in the old uh, Star Trek uh, writer's 
guides back in the 60s, you know, the admonition that you'd never see other spaceships grappling with the Enterprise and the evil aliens boarding the Enterprise with sabers drawn, you know, things like that. This just doesn't feel like it fits in our very realistic, very gritty um, bolts and rivets uh, Babylon 5 universe. However, to Shannon, I will back up Shannon's point that um, if you if you accept that they've done this, it's done really well in terms of the ambiguity of what's going on, whether this is tech, whether this is mysticism, who's right, who's wrong. You know, it's done rather well in that respect. Some things I thought about that um, Soul Hunter does do well, if we're not so sure about the main plot, um, is we get our world continues to build. We get more of the Mimbari backstory. Um, we get we got some hints in Midnight about the Narn Centauri conflict. Now we learn a little bit more about the Mimbari Earth War. We get um, some hints of something to come. Uh, the Soul Hunter, you know, is 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 shocked to, to you know jaw droppingly shocked at something that Delenn is planning. And this is our, you know, we get this is our first hint of something that's going to happen towards the end of the first season. We learn that Delenn is apparently not completely who she says she is, if she's actually a member of the Mimbari ruling council, ruling party, something or other. And the the hint is clear that she's, you know, she's supposedly too important to just be an ambassador. No, we she, get, it, it, it's spelled right out. Yeah. Grey Council, Satai Delenn. Oh, she is one of the bosses. There's also... Um, more character development with the introduction of Dr. Franklin, of uh, some of the other characters, we get a chance to bounce off their personalities a little more. We get, you know, Ivanova's, yes, it's always busy, and we like it that way. Uh, we get Garibaldi gets a chance to wisecrack some more. You know, we see, again, Sinclair taking a very hands-on approach to a situation in that, you know, he's the one who flies out there to um, try and catch the Soul Hunter ship before it hits the station. Yeah, that um, was one thing that, that uh, Stephen, when I was watching with him, he had a problem with that. He's like, why are they sending the captain out? And I was like, he's the best pilot. And this is something that's, you know, right. it needs a it needs a very steady, smooth hand and, or the station could blow up. So, well, yeah, that's, that's, there's a- that's part of it. Let me throw something else out. And it's not a spoiler. So you go back to Stephen and you tell him oh. <laughs> that um, it's also a first contact situation. Um, uh, and yeah, they don't recognize the ship and, and yeah, so they think it, they think it's an alien, they think it's alien tech. So that would be another situation where you'd have somebody of command rank actually close to it rather than just sending in a random fighter pilot who may or may not be equipped to deal with what if they find something alien that is either dangerous or inexplicable that somebody's got to make a, a swift decision about. Good so. point. I like it. Thanks, Chip. <laughs> you, 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 you let him know. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Um, I also liked it, too, because it continues to emphasize what we've seen in bits and pieces with The Gathering and Midnight, that Sinclair's a very hands-on type. Um, he, he's very quick to um, step up rather than delegate. You know, besides it being a first contact situation, you know, he, and at heart, he's just a pilot. You know, that's something else that we see in Sinclair is he doesn't quite feel, he doesn't quite understand why, you know, he of all people got picked to be the, to be the commander of this really important intergalactic space station. So, you know, I can see him saying like, you know, oh, this is something I know I can do. I can fly. I love flying. I'm going to grab my chance. 
Yeah, he was nice and kind of, I, I, like I said, I was I was all right with parts of uh, bits and pieces of Sheridan, or not Sheridan, sorry, Sinclair in here. He, um, well, at the end of the last episode, you know, we have him tricking Jakar into thinking he's he's mm-hmm. had this, you know, nanobot or whatever put into him, and he's he's kind of cheeky at the end. We get the same sort of thing here. You know, he says, life's full of mysteries, consider this one of them. Like, that's just, yeah. I like that. It's a good moment. Mm-hmm. It's a good moment. Yeah. One other thing that I also like that this episode builds, um, again, with the introduction of Dr. Franklin, is sort of taking a chance to really emphasize diversity. Um, I mean, this is something we see in the practical side with um, the casting and the people that um, JMS and Mary Jo Slater put into the roles. But JMS also emphasizes it with showing that these aliens really are alien with the Franklin's protocol and trying to figure out, you know, who this, you know, what, what does, what air does this soul hunter need to breathe? You know, Garibaldi is, here's the stats about his um, situation. It's like, well, that's good. And Franklin's like, well, yeah, it's good if he's a human, he's not, Um, you know, the opposite could happen. We get just, you know, more continuous, quiet reminders that while these other beings may walk on two legs like humans, that doesn't mean that they're anything like humans otherwise. We, we will see this in tons of situations down the road, some of them very humorous, that um, JMS takes the opportunity time and time again to show just how alien these other races are. And I like that. I, it feels much more than a lot of other TV shows where the only difference is that the forehead is shaped differently or the ears are shaped differently. And there's very little question about interspecies dating or anything like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. List. I like, uh, I, I do like the uh, addition of Dr. Franklin here. I mean, even though we had a doctor mm-hmm. back in uh, The Gathering, now a, a different mm-hmm. one, It it is a, a nice way to to point out the differences because we get we get the differences in humans and aliens i think throughout the series just within the, mm-hmm. the interactions i think that's something that jms does really well but but i guess i never thought about it before how dr franklin is sort of just another route to establishing that from from the physical side and i think i think as far as he goes his introduction it, it seems to me like he hasn't quite settled into the character as much as some of the other actors did right off mm-hmm. the bat but i do like his his style he seems just kind yeah. of like a laid back not exactly happy go lucky but uh you know he's he's not all business all the time like like ivanova is so i he's I, he's cocky too isn't he yeah i think so i and think I'm, it's, I'm, okay I'm not sure that. if it's cocky or just as much as this is my turf and i know what i'm doing so hush it, it, it's a little more you know when, when he's dealing with something medical he he takes charge. Yeah, I, so I don't know. Basically, he's a doctor, and I say yeah. that having worked mm. in hospitals. So he is a doctor. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're very very self assured, very self assured. But you know, he was like when the Soul Hunter and Sinclair are talking uh, or debating what uh, the Soul Hunter is describing, what he does, and Franklin just rolls it. his eyes. He, yeah, he just well blows it off. He's a scientist. Yeah, that that's you know he he produces his his version of of, um, of what he thinks is going on. Mm-hmm. But then he's like a little kid in a candy store at the end when he's talking to Sinclair being like, you know, what did you see? Tell me what you saw. His eyes get really big. And yeah. You could see that, that despite the fact that he is, it's almost like he's a little bit of a Fox Mulder. He wants to believe, but he needs Yeah, tell proof. me. Show me some proof. Yeah, exactly. show me some proof. Yeah. yeah. I like the Franklin character a lot better than the Dr. Benjamin Kyle character. Kyle's more of a, you know, grandfatherly type. Mm-hmm. Franklin's much yeah. more dynamic. 
Yes. Yes, yeah, I Franklin's agree. Franklin's a guy that I would just want to, you know, hang out with, grab a beer after his after his shift. Whereas, you know, I, I feel like Dr. Kyle, I, you know, would have wanted to sit at his feet and absorb wisdom a little bit more. And that's maybe not quite as much fun. <laughs> Ho-hum. But yes. Yeah. Consensus sort of seems to be not as rapid fire as Midnight on the Firing Line, but there's some stuff in here to chew on. Not as good as Midnight on the Firing Line, but something to, good to chew on, yes. Yeah, I think that's it. Had, it, it had moments. Yeah, I think I liked a couple of the comments on our website mentioned that there were some some decently good creepy stuff here and there. Um, and I'd, I'd forgotten the moment where Franklin comes back in looking at his notes or something. And the soul hunter is just standing there at the window staring and yeah. you are waiting for the moment that Franklin looks up, you know, the, um, neat little bits like that. Props to, you know, the director or whoever um, was able to uh, pull off little moments like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, speaking of which, I love that little moment when Sinclair meets the second uh, Soul Hunter after Garibaldi's just read him the riot act. Oh, for yes. Being front and center. And then when the Soul Hunter uh, comes onto the deck, Garibaldi immediately steps in front of Sinclair. And, and Sinclair Sin- just looks at him like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's so real. It's so real. That's what a security guard does, you know? Yep. I agree. Uh, have we got any other thoughts for the moment before we jump into spoiler territory? I'm, I'm ready to jump. All right. Duck okay. and cover, folks. <laughs> Thank you very much, our newbie half, for listening uh, to this episode. We will see you in two weeks. The next episode that you should watch is Born to the Purple. You can, of course, find us on Twitter and Tumblr. Uh, come chat with us at b5audioguide.com. And we will see you all in two weeks. And we are back where we can talk about anything and everything. Sinclair is failing. <laughs> Absolutely. No. Ding. There we go. <laughs> so, um, this episode, as we, we mentioned, does plant some seeds. Of course, this is the first hint we get of um, Delenn's transformation at the end of the episode where she goes into the chrysalis. Um, we also see, um, I think, some really interesting uh, mentions. Uh, when Franklin comes on board, he talks about how Dr. Kyle is needed back on Earth because of all the aliens moving there. And that's like one of the first hints of what's going to turn into this huge political conflict as, you know, Earth tries to go all isolationist and um, and is afraid of all these aliens and tries to kick them back off Earth and um, and protect itself. So there's a bits of foreshadowing that, you know, we're not going to put together for quite some time. They're just sort of bricks laying the foundation. Let's let's peel back a little bit. Um, we've talked a, okay. we've talked about the original plan for uh, Babylon 5, uh, which did not survive long, as we found out that Michael O'Hare was going to have to leave uh, right after this first season. I have the feeling that the Soul Hunter saying you would do this and they're using you meant mm-hmm. something completely different from what it wound up meaning. What do you guys think? I think you're absolutely right. I, I think that there's there's no question that at this point, they really thought they were kind of going a different way. And But I like, I think that he did it wisely in making it as generic as possible. Uh, because at this point, you know, you can, <laughs> you can fit what happens down the road 
into those those generic sort of just ambiguous right. phrases. So I'm I, I like the fact that it's fun for us to talk about how it was going to be something so different, but it still works out in the end. It comes yeah. out mm-hmm. just fine. Back in the day when uh, when we were watching Babylon 5 go out for the first time, people were expecting to see traitors everywhere and hidden agendas everywhere. I like that we find out in the very second episode of the series proper that Delenn is not who she seems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are told I, – I had forgotten that we are told that quickly that she is she, – she is one of the nine members of the Grey Council – between uh, the gathering, there's a hole in your mind, mm-hmm. um, and in this episode, we get this sense that there's this vice getting ready to clamp itself all around Sinclair. You know, he is he, he's he's being used, he's being manipulated in some way, and she's at the center of it. At this point, so early in the story, she's a very ambiguous character. Mm-hmm. Although I do think the you would do such a thing line that might have stayed the same as far as its intent, because it, I mean, it makes perfect. I, she was mm-hmm. going to change. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah, that was always um, in the plan. Um, so I'm I'm guessing that that would be what he was yeah. referring to, because that's a pretty drastic and risky thing that she takes on to, to go into the chrysalis. Mm-hmm. So so that part of it, I think, but the uh, the rest of it sort of surrounding the whole mystery, I'm, I'm pretty sure did change. Mm-hmm. I agree. Something else to think about that the Soul Hunters, I get the feeling in general that JMS is the type of writer who never throws away a potential tool when it can um, be used again. Um, I don't know that that's always true on other shows um, where, you know, something happens, but you never hear any reference to it ever again. Well, uh, well do- I, I will interject and say Epsilon 3 did get forgotten about a little while down the road. Yeah. But- uh, but uh, your, yeah, your point stands do. generally. Yeah, um, and, but we do see Soul Although Hunters. Speaking of Epsilon 3, did you notice there was that's, there was a ship named Epsilon 3 in No, I didn't notice that. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> either either that or I misheard and they were talking about the planet, but I don't think they talked about the planet in this episode. So I was just kind of like, Epsilon 3, what? I'd have to go back and look. I don't remember. But as my, my point was that we do get references to the Soul Hunters again. Um, we actually get a whole movie later on, a made-for-TV movie that deals with the Soul Hunters. Where the which Soul Hunter ex- is played by Martin Sheen. Which explains Chip's lyric, yes. Indeed. We see um, a little bit more... We see a little bit more of them. We get a another again this conflict um, because um, in the River Souls, I guess we'll talk about it if we uh, continue after we do the episodes and do the movies. Um, but the point is that the Soul Hunters were drawn because they thought an entire race was about to die, and it turns out that the entire race was about to go Vorlon and change into their next evolution, and they were trapped. Um, so again, you know the the questions of is this what the Soul Hunters do right? Is it moral? Is it not? Um, gets hashed out all over again in a different situation. There's also the episode Atonement. Atonement is the episode where we have the flashback to that opening skirmish that led to uh, the Earth-Minbari War. And as as the Earth ships and the Minbari ships are about to meet, Dukat and the others notice that Soul Hunter ships have entered the area and they realize that somebody's going to die and that's actually the moment when Dukat realizes that this is all going to go pear-shaped really fast that the humans are going to misinterpret the gun ports being open so the soul hunters almost did a good job there because they almost uh, gave good information uh, that could have averted the tragedy but 
too late. <laughs> but of course, then they wouldn't have shown up in the Not first place. In so yeah. wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. <laughs> Sorry, wrong, exactly. wrong show. <laughs> I noticed something that was uh, totally, you know, not related to that, to anything that we've talked about so far. It's just kind of a, a random uh, one-off writery thing. I noticed that uh, they kept saying the alien population, the alien uh, sector, mm-hmm. which is something that having just rewatched the entire series so recently, they don't speak that way. Uh, later on and i feel like that's sort of maybe jms kind of recognized that it came off as really exclusionary language and babylon 5 is supposed to be this melting pot where everybody comes together and you know when you're calling everybody that's not human the alien sector that sounds it just it really rang rough on my ears i it, it didn't sound nice so i'm i'm happy that that's something that kind of went away as the i wonder how on. much of that is um sort of the the human staffers on the station getting used to it you know getting used to the idea you yeah, know the, the, at too. the beginning these races have not been in this one spot all mixed up together you know they visited each other's planets and that sort of thing but this is supposedly complete neutral territory so i wonder you know how much of it is the humans gradually adjusting from the mindset of we built this place and these all people came into eventually realizing that, you know, especially, you know, by the time we get to the third season and Babylon 5 is a leading independent station revolting against Earth. So and then we're all in this together. So I wonder if that's just sort of a natural evolution. Ah, interesting theory. Either way, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with it. So it was interesting to kind of come back to the beginning and mm-hmm. and the little differences like that, even the small language ones mm-hmm. really yeah. do stand out. Um, whether it's the show evolving or whether it's the character's understanding of uh, their place in the universe evolving, you know, either way, it is it is a definite shift. So we've encouraged people to comment at our website where we have spoiler and non-spoiler options. Um, Thank you, those of you who have been participating for keeping the non-spoiler sections clear for now. But we had a bit of an interesting discussion that, you know, ties in with what we've talked about with the shift in the show with Michael O'Hare's departure. Um, Originally, uh, Sinclair and Delenn were eventually supposed to be an item, supposed to get together um, and have a kid. And somebody pointed out that they, you know, there was this look on Sinclair's face that they were trying to figure out what it was. And I'm a fan, I'm a shipper, and I, you know, went right there and said I thought that was JMS's first hints of what was to come. We'll see in especially Parliament of Dreams, there's... um, uh, the scene where Delenn is going through the ritual and later on another character points out to Sinclair, you know, that's actually part of a marriage ceremony. Um, so there's all these hints that, of course, with the change in characters have to get shifted around and JMS had to come up with a new way for Sheridan and Delenn to be the power couple that uh, brings peace and harmony to the universe. Um, so that turned into a neat little discussion um, and we really appreciate the feedback. Yeah, yeah I read that and, and that kind of blew my mind. As I said, way back when we started, I did not come at Babylon 5 from a, you know, steeped in fandom perspective. I, I just consumed the show kind of almost in a vacuum. And I had no idea that the original idea was for the, for the two of them to get together. And when I first read that, I was just kind of like, Simply because I think that's more because of my feelings about Sinclair. I'm not the biggest fan right. of him. But when I 
sort of take a step back and look at it, I realize that, yes, it that's one of the things that has bothered me was the whole like marriage ceremony mm-hmm. bit. And I, I didn't understand that. And now that makes perfect sense in my head. And I do think that while I may not be the biggest Sinclair fan, that in the long run, if he had been able to stay, I think the love story thing may have played out a little bit more smoothly I think for me just from a character standpoint not that I have any problem with Sheridan and Delenn because I really do love them together but it happened I don't know maybe a little bit faster than than I would have liked from a story story standpoint but they didn't have all that much time to work with it so uh, I can understand exactly Exactly. what they could um Mm -hmm. It, it, and th- I do take your point earlier uh, in this podcast about the ambiguity of leaving just enough ambiguity so that you can do something else with the characters uh, and with the with the new status quo. You know, we'll get to Parliament of Dreams later, uh, but uh, you know, in in retrospect, you can call that wedding line a red herring. An accidental yeah. red herring, to be sure, but uh, it turns out to work. <laughs> work perfectly well for that reason similarly in this episode you know um you would do such a thing clearly it's about her transformation uh, they're using you rather than going back to uh the what was the word uh the dilution of the minbari's minbari mm-hmm. souls the minbari bloodline and all that stuff and that they were going to use sinclair to revitalize the minbari uh, instead they're using him to make him their leader you know uh, mm-hmm. their, their their great historical leader you know it's um it it does ultimately work out even if it um had to be retrofitted agreed does soul hunter work for you better as a standalone episode or if you know what it's supposed to be alluding to in the greater scheme of the entire series I don't think that the fact that it's alluding to something down the road, I don't think that that helps it for me, to be honest. Um, I, I think that I think that there are so many sprinklings of foreshadowing throughout the entire first season that this particular one, I, I'm just sort of shaking mm-hmm. my head here. It, it, I, I don't really care that much. Uh, yeah, I think more than anything else, I think the main thing Soul Hunter is able to do is, is it is able to introduce us to what is going to be JMS's style. Um, the the emphasis on shades of gray, that there is no one right answer to these things. The widening of the foundation, the, the, the world building, um, uh, the diversity uh, among the alien populations. Um, I, I think that's I think that's its biggest biggest strength. I mean, it, it's a little bit creepy. There's you know a few places here and there where 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 it hits, but then there are places where it swings and misses. You know, uh, floating glass balls. Cito Rico. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oi. But hey, I I will give uh, Morgan Shepard credit for being an imposing physical presence. That um, that's a, yeah, that's a big help. Yeah, he does fine. I think maybe it's just something with Soul Hunters where we get actors that I like in other things being really crappy as Soul Hunters because Martin Sheen was terrible too. <laughs> I'm so to what you're saying is the Soul Hunter role is the kiss of death for any actor. Pretty much. Well, except for the, the guy who played the other Soul Hunter in this one. Um, I don't remember who the actor is. But you get to see him in the opening credits of every single episode in, uh, in season <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, he was fine. Yeah, he was the sane one. Um, Unless we have anything else, I guess that wraps it up. 
I'm good. I am sated. I am ready for Born to the Purple. Okay. Yeah, I am so excited. I love that episode so oh, much. Oh, really? Actually, when you, I had, I'm, I am very bad at keeping track of like what episodes come in what order. So at the end of the 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 non spoilery part, and you said next time we'll be watching Born to the Purple, I was like, can we just talk about that? But <laughs> we we will. Wait. Yes. We, this could um. this could be interesting. <laughs> it's not one of my favorites. Well, good. Disagreement makes for a better podcast. Yes, yes it yes, does. Yes, it does. I agree. We just have to buy each other a drink afterwards. <laughs> okay. Well, as always, thank you, everyone, for listening to Audio Guide to Babylon 5. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of Soul Hunter, and we hope you will join us again in two weeks for Born to the Purple. As we wrap it up, this is Shannon in Durham. Erica in Edmonton. And Chip in Durham. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>